0: Would you please pray with me? Our Father and our God, as we come to you this morning to hear from your word, we recognize that we are ill-equipped to do it on our own. And so we ask that you would do what only you can do and that by the ministry of your spirit, you would speak to your people this morning. All glory, honor, and praise be to you, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, one God now and forever. Amen. In 2016, Ryan Green, a Christian and a video game designer, released a game entitled That Dragon Cancer. The game retells the story of Ryan's own son, Joel's three-year battle with terminal cancer. Joel was one when he received his diagnosis. It is a beautifully animated game. It masterfully tells this story of, of an unimaginable tragedy. It is haunting, poetic, childlike, often winsome, and deeply, deeply saddening. Ryan explores how his other children relate to Joel. The real practical struggles of their everyday life. How he and his wife respond to the doctors telling them that that their one-year-old will never reach adulthood. The joy of successful surgeries and chemotherapy treatments. And the crushing despairs of remission. In a scene where, where they receive Joel's final diagnosis... The player has a, a speak and say in front of them. You know, one of the things you pull the string and it goes around. The cow says "moo," except instead of an animal, it's two different doctors' faces and and Ryan and his wife's face. And the the player cranks the handle and it spins around and it lands on one of the faces of the people having the conversation. So the camera shoots to their perspective and now they deliver their line. And then it goes back and the speak and say goes again. And the dialogue is delivered this way. In this scene, Ryan prays to God, expressing his doubt. While playing this game, for his YouTube channel. The most popular YouTuber in the world in this scene responded to Ryan's prayer by saying, that's how you know there's no God. If God was real, kids wouldn't get cancer. It's these two disparate ways of thinking that our passage deals with today. Our passage will show us that Jesus comforts those who doubt, but confronts those who demand. Jesus comforts those who doubt, but confronts those who demand. And in three movements, first, the miraculous Messiah, verses two through six. Second, the prophesied prophet, verses seven through 15. And third, the incredulous crowds, verses 16 through 19 the miraculous Messiah, the prophesied prophet, and the incredulous crowds. Let us begin with the miraculous Messiah, verse 2. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, okay, I apologize already, but we have to pause here and just get our, our bearings for where we're at in the story. So this, this John, of course, is John the Baptist. He was the, the prophet who lived in the desert, wore a Camel hair clothing, ate locusts and honey. And he's imprisoned. He was arrested by Herod Antipas, who's the the tetrarch, the ruler under the Romans of, of this particular area of Israel. And after he gets arrested, he hears about the ministry that Jesus is going around and doing. He hears that Jesus is casting out demons and he's healing sick people and he's preaching good news. So word gets back to John. So back to our text, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, that is Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Wait, what? Shall we look for another? Shall we look for another? This is from the man who before he was even born leapt in his mother's womb when the pregnant virgin approached. This is from the man who said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is from the man who baptized the Christ and heard the Father declare, This is my well-beloved Son in whom I am pleased. This is from the man who saw the Holy Spirit descend on Christ as a dove. Shall we look for another? How can he ask that? Quite simply, because he's in prison. When you say, Riker, I, I don't follow. Let me see if I can unpack this. You see, John had expectations for what the Messiah would do. The Messiah would come and he would conquer. That's what almost every Jewish person thought would happen. That means that he would overthrow the Romans, which means that he would overthrow Herod, which means that John would no longer be in prison. But every morning he wakes up, he's reminded that the Romans still rule. And so Herod still rules. And so he's still in prison for preaching the truth. And so John has doubts. Even John has doubts. But Jesus comforts those who doubt. Verse four. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Amazingly, amazingly, Jesus responds by comforting John's doubts. Jesus comforts those who doubt. Now, he doesn't come right out and say, no, don't go look for another. That isn't normally how Jesus talks. Rather, Rather, he draws John's attention to the miraculous Messiah. To be sure, Herod is still Tetrarch. Rome still rules over Israel. But the blind see. The deaf hear. Lepers are cleansed. And good news is preached to the poor. Friends, it is so like Jesus to respond in this way. Drawing the eyes of the doubtful away from their unmet expectations into truer and realer things. And so, dear friends, I must ask you, what unmet expectations do you have that cause you to doubt? Is it a wayward child? An abiding sin that you cannot seem to conquer? An irreparably broken relationship? What effects of the fall cause you to doubt? Maybe it's just the, the grandeur of all of it. That, that your sin, that you hate, that you see hurting people that you love, your real experienced sin is actually forgiven, really and truly forgiven and gone. What is it that causes you to doubt? Dear friends, gaze upon your miraculous Messiah. Because in an analogous way, you yourself have experienced these very miracles, You who were poor in spirit have had good news preached to you. The spirit has regenerated you and given you eyes to see and ears to hear what you could not when you were spiritually deaf and blind. You who were unclean and not fit for God's presence now have full access to his throne room through prayer because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And his spirit now empowers you to walk in the way of righteousness. Blessed are you if you take no offense at Christ. To be sure, our world is still fallen. And there is much suffering this side of Christ's return. There are still grim diagnoses and miscarriages. There is still cruel manipulation and senseless violence. There is still addiction and mourning. And all of these things may cause you to doubt. But dear friends, Christ would comfort you by drawing your eyes to himself. This is the message to the one who doubts who waits in advent of his second coming. Gaze upon your miraculous Messiah. And now, as John's disciples leave to deliver this message to him, Jesus turns his attention to the crowds, and he begins to speak of the prophesied prophet. So, second, the prophesied prophet, verse seven. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Jesus wants to make sure that the crowds have a clear understanding of who John is. Perhaps some of them assumed that that there was some sense of division between Jesus and John after this last exchange, and if so, Jesus sets out to squash that notion at once. So he asked what they went out to see when they went out to see John. Did they walk the incredibly long and inconvenient journey all the way out into the desert to where John was to see a vacillating reed Someone who has one message on Monday, another on Tuesday, and something wholly different on Wednesday? No. John was steadfast. He had one single message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Neither did they go out into the desert to see someone dressed in finery. People who wear fine clothes don't live in the desert. You're not going there to see something nice. No, they went out to see a prophet. But more than that, The prophesied prophet. In spite of his doubts, that is still who John is. Verse 10 This is he of whom it is written Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John was the prophet the prophet other prophets prophesied about. Here, Jesus refers to Malachi foretelling John's coming. John is the one who would come immediately before the Christ. And as such, John was privileged to know who Jesus was in a way that no other person was. No one else left in utero. No one else baptized the Messiah. But we, in the kingdom, the least in the kingdom, have been gifted a clearer reality of who Jesus is. We know that he is the promised suffering servant who dies and takes away the sins of the world. We know that he takes his own life back up. We know that he has ascended into heaven. And so now we wait for his return. These things were not disclosed to John. And so in that way, we are all greater than he was. It is what Jesus means when he says, the least in the kingdom are greater than John. John had the strongest foretaste of the reality of the kingdom, but he would not live to see Christ complete his earthly mission. However, John has done what he was supposed to do, he prepared the way for the Lord. And now, Jesus talks about how things are going to change, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, we must slow down here and do a difficult bit of exegesis. Every commentary that I consulted spoke of the difficulty of understanding verse 12 here. And this is because the idea of the kingdom of heaven suffering violence and the violent taking it by force can each be interpreted both positively and negatively. Let me show you what I mean by reading a couple different translations. The NLT reads, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. The NIV, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. And the ESV, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. So, while it's important that we recognize that that there is, is difficulty in understanding this, I think the context makes it clear that both cases are true for both And this is the interpretation that Dr. Doriani puts forward in his commentary. To summarize it, it would sound something like this. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing as it suffers violence. Because violent men attack the kingdom, therefore, we must not be half-hearted in our allegiance to Christ. And because there is a double meaning to what Christ is saying, he says... He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is clear that, that this is a turning point in a way. He said that this is the way that things have been, but moving forward, things will be different. Here, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And what about those who don't have ears to hear? The incredulous crowds, well, the incredulous crowds, point three, verse 16. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Now, normally when Jesus speaks of children, it is in a positive light. Jesus tells his disciples to be like little children, but not like these children, not like the children that the crowd is likened to. These are pouty, demanding crybabies. They all wanted their friends to play the game that they wanted to play, and when their friends didn't want to play the game, they whine. This is the type of kids who, when losing a game, pick up their ball and go home because if the game doesn't finish, they can't really lose. We've all known kids like this. If we're honest with ourselves, we've all been kids like this. And more to the point, if we're really honest with ourselves, we've all been adults like this. My way or the highway absolutist, about ridiculous things that serve no purpose other than to make us feel like we are in control. But here's the problem, friend. You are not in control. Oh, sure, you can manipulate people around you, and they might do what you want them to do, but you can't actually control anything. And if it hasn't yet... There will come a day when you play your flute and no one dances. You sing your dirge and no one mourns. You make all the demands you want, but no one listens because you have burned all your equity with your previous demands. And this is true enough in normal human relationships. But Jesus here is talking about how the incredulous crowds responded to himself and to John. Verse 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. If you get used to the idea that you can actually control things around you by means of your demands, if that's your normal way of relating to the world, you will make demands of God that will be unmet. God sent John too fast, but the crowds didn't like that. Jesus came to drink and eat. He didn't like that either. Your demands will never be satisfied because it's not actually about the demands at all. It is all about the perceived control the demands give you. Friends, this is the exact opposite of faith. And so if this is you this morning, repent. God would have you turn aside from your self-deification and turn to Christ as your only Lord. What is so insidious about this, friends, is that doubt, apart from faith, apart from running to Christ, quickly turns into demands. A former mentor of mine was convinced, he was absolutely certain that God was calling him to pastor in a certain city. This was in Mark Driscoll's heyday. And so in that culture, the greatest mark of manhood was quick, bold decision-making, And so he rashly quit his job in the congregation and he began to prepare to move in, quote, faith. And immediately it became clear to every outside observer that God was shutting this door, that it was not what God wanted him to do. Though he had experience and was incredibly gifted in his lay vocation, he could not find a job anywhere near where he wanted to live. Though his house was gorgeous, Reasonably priced. No one wanted to buy it. No matter how they ran the equation, there was simply no way for them to move. So he decided God wasn't real. Not all at once, of course. It started as doubt, slowly festering. Why would God tell me to move and then not let me move? God, if you gave me this desire, why would you not fulfill it? Are you even good if you make me suffer like this? This doubt found outlets in sins of alcoholism and illicit internet sites, but never sought ultimate satisfaction in repentance and bending the knee to God as God. And so eventually, he left the faith, his wife, and their children. It brings me no joy to recount his story, friends. It is a cautionary tale. Wisdom is justified by her deeds, and I think the same is true of the opposite. Folly is condemned by her deeds. I am sure we have all known people who have been examples of waiting well. I know many of you have endured trials and doubt, but have ran to Christ in faith for comfort. Faith allows for doubt, and Jesus comforts those who doubt, Faith does not allow for demands. Because any demand that we would make of God, telling God, God, if do this or you're not really God, is actually us saying, God, do this or I'm not really God. So guess what? He's not gonna do it. It's why Jesus confronts those who demand. In this season of Advent, as we look back on Israel's waiting for their Messiah, as we ourselves wait for his return, as we do that, when when we do anything, it can be so easy to doubt that these things will ever happen. Will Christ ever come back? Was he ever really here? Is any of this true? Friends, when you have these doubts, cry out to God, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It is not a matter of gritting your teeth and enduring. That isn't what waiting well means. So, would we be a people marked by an honest and humble faith that runs to Christ with our doubts and repents of our demands? Would you please pray with me? Our Father and our God, would you comfort those who doubt? And give them rest in our advent of Christ's return. Would you convict those who demand, and would they repent and honor Christ as Lord? We ask this in His name. Amen. Friends, as we respond to the preaching of God's word, would you please stand as we recite what we believe? Christians, and what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the grave. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Sorry, you may be seated. I apologize. Friends, another way that, that we respond in faith uh, is we give of, of our material blessings that God has given to us. Uh, there is, not now, there's normally a black box in the back there. Uh, and if uh, you can also donate online to, to St. Andrews. Friends, would you please join me in prayer as we now go to our Father.